1 Thessalonians chapter 5, reading verses 19 through 24. Hear now the word of God. Quench not the spirit. Despise not the prophesies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. So today, my friends, we start looking at verses 23 and 24. This is a two-part series, sermon series, on these two verses. Total sanctification. Total sanctification, in which Paul and his company, Silas and Timothy, pray for the Thessalonians' total sanctification. Now, as you know, as we've been looking towards the end of this book of 1 Thessalonians here in chapter 5, these little, these little verses, they're, they're pithy, they're punchy. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, test all things, and so forth. As we've been looking at this, we see that we've been considering the person and especially the work of the Holy Spirit. We've been considering the person and especially the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, who, then, is the Holy Spirit? Who is he? Well, I'm sure you're aware of the fact that he is the third person of the Trinity, the third person of the Godhead, or the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the one who proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. So the Son of God is eternally begotten by the Father. The, the Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father and the Son. There's a certain mystery about this. We don't fully understand what that means. There's no way we could fully or completely understand that because we're not God, obviously. But nevertheless, this is the way that the Spirit is revealed to us. He is the one who proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. But the thing to remember also is that he is truly God. So first of all, he's a person. He's not a force. He's not an it. He is, uh, as my father used to say, you don't lie to an it. And in Acts chapter 5, Peter said, you, Adonis and Sapphire, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You don't lie to an it. You don't lie to the wall, okay? You lie to a person. And so they lied to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, just like the Father and the Son are persons. And he is then, as the third person of the Trinity, he is truly God. So that everything you can say about 
God, you can say about the Holy Spirit. Everything you can say about God, you can say about the Holy Spirit. And children, I'm not going to have you recite the catechism question and answer, but we know who is God, what is God. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. It is being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And so everything you can say about God, then, you can say about the Holy Spirit. What does the Spirit do, then? What does the Spirit do? So that's the person of the Spirit. What does he do? Well, first of all, we could say he convicts of sin. So you hear you, in your heart, you, you, get, you get a sense of, a little sense of, should I really be doing that? So that's quite likely it's the Holy Spirit who's bringing that to mind and convicting you of sin. Convicting you, not just of particular sins, but convicting you of the fact that you are a sinner before God. That's what the Spirit does. He also convinces people of the truth of the gospel. So it's one thing to be convicted of sin. Oh no, I'm such a horrible person. I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm a liar. I'm, a, I'm one who doesn't want God, who hates God. I'm one who is, who is proud, wants to go my own way apart from God. What am I going to do? But then he convinces people of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which brings healing. The Spirit illumines the scriptures which he has inspired. The scripture illumines the Spirit, the, the scriptures which he has inspired. So we talk about the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. They are inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes along and illumines our minds, enables us to understand what the scriptures are saying. He is the one who bears testimony of Christ. That's what Jesus said. The Spirit will come who will give testimony of me, who will bear witness to me. The Spirit, as we have seen here in 1 Thessalonians 5, gives us wisdom to discern between good and evil. Verses 21 and 22. Test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. The Spirit is the one who enables us to understand the Scriptures so that we have wisdom to discern between what is good and what is not. The Spirit is the one who enables us to appreciate the prophesyings that he has given. Verse 20. Despise not prophesyings, despise not prophecies. And so the Spirit, then, is the one who enables us to appreciate those prophecies. The Spirit is the one uh, who gives us the grace not to despise him and his gifts and workings. Verse 19, quench not the Spirit. And so the Spirit is the one who gives us the very grace not to despise him, you see. He's the one who enables us not to go our own way, not to quench, not to, to throw water, as it were, or, or uh, dirt on the fire, on the, on the campground fire. You have, a, you have a fire there on the campground, you're enjoying it, and then someone comes along and douses that with water, quenches it. Well, 
That's what we can do to the Spirit. We can quench His fire, if you will. But why do we not? If we don't quench the Spirit, if in point of fact we encourage the work of the Spirit, it's because the Spirit Himself has been at work in our hearts to give us the grace to love Him and to submit to Him and to listen to Him. He is the one who stirs us up so that we can pray, rejoice, and give thanks. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Well, today we look at one of the realities that is especially associated with the Spirit, and that, my friends, is what we call sanctification. Sanctification. As we are reminded by the Shorter Catechism, question and answer 35, which we recited today, sanctification is, and you can look at it in your bulletin, sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin, and live unto righteousness. Sanctification, then, is the work of God's free grace. Notice it's not the act, but it's the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So this doctrine, then, deals with that which is subjective. That is to say... It is, unlike justification, which is outside of ourselves, which is objective, it is, sanctification is subjective. It has to do with what's inside of us. It has to do with our hearts. And children, this is so important. This has to do with your heart today. This has to do with what is your heart all about. Are you converted have you been regenerated by the Holy Spirit? Have you been set apart by the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit at work in you? That's what we're talking about. And so it deals with that which is subjective and involves practical righteousness. That is to say, how we actually put these things into effect. As we read today from Romans chapter 12, the great list of issues of of things that we're supposed to do or things that we're not supposed to do? What does it mean to live like a Christian? We could also point to the law of God itself, to the Ten Commandments. And so it involves practical righteousness. But notice something else here. It implies a process. It implies a process. Now, we talk about justification, being forgiven once for all. We talk about adoption and children. I don't know if you perhaps have known someone who's been adopted. But if someone, maybe you know someone who's been adopted. And how does that happen? How is a person adopted? Well, the ones who want to adopt this person go before a judge. And the judge says, yes, I approve this adoption. And once the judge signs the order, that's it. It's once for all. That person is forever and ever adopted into that family. 
There's no process. But sanctification is different. Because unlike justification and adoption, which are once for all, sanctification is a process throughout our lives. Because none of us is perfect. None of us is fully set apart to God's service. And so it's a process in which we are to be more and more like Jesus and less and less like our old sinful selves. So more and more we're to put away sin. More and more we're to put those things away. But more and more we are to be like Jesus. And so it implies a process, but also then it is effected, it is put into effect, it is, it is put into effect, this making one holy, it is put into effect by the Holy Spirit. And that's why we're talking about the Spirit in this context, but also sanctification. Now notice the relevance then uh, to sanctification in the context. The immediately preceding verses, as we've already noted, relate to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it just sort of naturally falls, falls uh, you know, comes along. So the, Paul has been talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, and now he continues and makes it very explicit in terms of the sanctification. In our text for today, we also have a reference to one of the main themes of our book, and that is the second coming of Christ, where he says at the, verse 23, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so our sanctification, my friends, boys and girls, children, our sanctification is looking forward to the completion of our sanctification, which is either when we die or, if we're still alive, when Jesus comes back, when Jesus comes back. So when we die, if we die in Christ, we are, at that point, we go to heaven, we are immediately sanctified. We are immediately, to totally sanctified. So we have a process in this life, and we're never going to reach perfection in this life, but that process of more and more putting away sin and more and more being like Jesus is looking forward to the day when Jesus will come back. And it's a relevant topic as well, our sanctification. It's a relevant topic for these Christians in a cosmopolitan city like Thessalonica. It was a pagan place a pagan place that was given over to false gods and false spirits. It was a place that was filled with hedonism, meaning to be hedonism, what that means is eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we may die. In other words, it was given over completely to pleasure. Is that not what we see in our society today? Is that not what we see with all the sexualization of things today? Just look at all the popular music. Or I should say, don't look at the popular music today. <laughs> don't listen to it. <laughs> Consider it, though. It is a disgrace what is going on in TV today. It's an absolute disgrace. 
And children, you need to listen. To, you need to heed. You need to pay heed to this, because the world is is trying to give you a different message from the message of God, the message of Scripture. It's filled with people. Oh, do your own thing. Do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever brings you pleasure for the moment. That's hedonism. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. And it was also then captive to materialism and commercialism. Materialism, I'm thinking particularly in terms of just living for this world, in terms of material matters, but also commercialism. And again, our society is very much like that. Where the Thess This is a place, a pagan place, a place where the Thessalonians would need to be protected, not only physically, as we saw earlier in the book, not only physically, because there were enemies who wanted to kill them, wanted to destroy them, as we have in our society today as well. They would need to be protected not only physically, but also spiritually. Well, we come now then, as we look most particularly at the first part of verse 23 today, we consider this whole matter of sanctification. And there are two, two sub-points of this first major point in this two-part series. First of all, the sanctifier, and then secondly, the process. The sanctifier, and then the process. You see, we read in the first part of verse 23, now, or and, may the very God of peace, may the very God of peace, or may the God of peace himself. Notice the and, or the, the now, it shows the connection with the previous section. Notice also, I, I said, the very God of peace, that's in the King James, here in the New King James, it says, may the God of peace himself. That's probably a better translation or a better way of conveying it. The word there is autos in the Greek, A-U-T-O-S, autos. You may know the word automatic, that which operates by itself. It's automatic. Well, autos means self. And so it's an emphasis then. It's saying the very God, or the true God, or God himself. But he's also defined, so, so it's very very strong emphasis on God here, but it's, it's also defined as the God of peace, the God of peace. And I want to consider with you uh, Romans, uh, just a few places, just a few places in Scripture that talk about peace. Romans, uh, for example, Romans 15, verse 33, Paul says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And also Romans 16, verse 20, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11 we read, Be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace 
will be with you. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 19. Philippians 4, verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need. Uh, excuse me, verse 9. Beg your pardon. Verse 9. The things which you heard, learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul writes, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. And a benediction that is often used in conjunction with communion, Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, what does it mean, then, that God is referred to as the God of peace? Well, first of all, let me suggest that this phrase is often associated with blessing. It's often associated with blessing. We've, we've seen that, then, with the blessing of God. So it's not, just, uh, it's not just some phrase, but it's the God of peace who brings blessing to us. Secondly, Peace, or to use the Hebrew word shalom, is one of the best blessings to have. It's one of the best blessings to have. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have peace, and how many of you don't have peace right now? In your life? in your soul. Well, peace is one of the best blessings that God can give to us, including the, the freedom that we have in our conscience, the joy of the Holy Ghost, and the freedom and the knowledge that we have peace with God and we are doing <coughs> His will. And so it's the God of peace, you see, who is the sanctifier. Thirdly, we get peace in our triumph over the world in all opposition. That's what I just read from Romans 16, verse 20. It's a very interesting, uh, very interesting uh, passage there, Romans 16, verse 20. And the God of peace, and you would think he'd have some soft saying. No, no, no. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Interesting. The God of peace is also a God of war who will crush Satan under your feet. Isn't that interesting? That's how peace comes, you see, by the crushing of opposition and by our triumph over the world. But finally, in this regard, and this is so important, I'm going to come back at the end of the message. I'm going to emphasize this again. So children, don't miss it now. Don't miss it at the end of the message in just a few minutes. We must have the establishment of peace between God and ourselves by means of the cross. If you don't remember anything else from this message, remember that. And that's when, you see, when Paul here and his friends are, are talking about the God of peace, 
they understand that we need peace with God. And the way we get peace with God is through the God of peace. And what he brings to us, what he gives to us, particularly the grace of justification as his wrath is poured out upon his son at the cross. And by doing that, by pouring out his wrath, by putting his son, the son of God, through hell at the cross, by doing that, he's able to grant us peace. Because the peace has been established by means of the cross. And so we must never forget that. It's that God. It's that God who not only gives peace to our souls, gives peace to us in terms of our own understanding, in terms of our own sense of well-being, but it's the God who brings peace between himself and us, and who does so by means of the cross. It is that very God of peace of whom it is said that he will sanctify us wholly. And that leads us then to the process. May the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Now the word here for to sanctify means to set apart. So, children, perhaps you have, or um, uh, per, perhaps you have a, a special dress or a special uh, set of clothes that you wear on special occasions. Well, those clothes are set apart for a special occasion. Maybe it's to come to church, or maybe it's uh, to go to a concert, or whatever it may be. And so what do you do? You save that. You save those clothes for a special occasion. Those clothes, in a sense, are holy because they've been, not in a moral sense, but they've been set apart. They've been set apart for a special use. And that's the concept of holiness. And so here we have the verb, hagiazo, to sanctify. And interestingly, and let me, let me give you, and so I want you all to follow me closely on this. This is a, uh, I'm, I'm, teaching you, I'm teaching you Greek today, okay? So you can go home, you can, tell that you, you can tell your folks that you learned Greek today. It's in what is called the aorist. A-O-R-I-S-T, which is the past tense. We would say, in English, we'd say the past tense. Like, I, I went to school. Okay? Not, I go to school, I went to school. It's in the past tense, isn't it? Or, I watched TV yesterday. That's in the past tense. That, it happened. It's, it happened in history before now. That's the past tense. It happened in the past. And that's, that's the type of word that is used here. It's in the past tense. And therefore, when he says to sanctify you wholly, it's looking at sanctification from the perspective of the end that is in view. So sanctification begins with regeneration, the Holy Spirit comes, convicts us of our sin, unites us to Christ by faith. We are regenerated. We are converted to Christ. That sanctification is a progressive process throughout one's life 
It ends with our glorification when our faces will shine with glory someday. But here, the definiteness of sanctification is the point. That it has indeed started. That's the point. It's started. And so it has, that process has begun. That's the point. And so he's saying, may the God, the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly, starting with when you were regenerated, and of course then continuing on. The word here for holy is a word that is used only here in the New Testament. And it, it has, it's hola teles, holos, which means whole, telos, which means end, the end. And it points, therefore, to all of the degrees of sanctification, and it points to the whole man being set apart. This is why, for example, Paul in Romans 12, verse 1, this is why this is why the Apostle Paul will say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, there you see holy, set apart, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So present your bodies, meaning present your whole self, body and soul, that's the point. Because you, ex you give expression to yourself by means of your body. You're not a disembodied spirit. You're not, it's not like your body is here and your, your, your spirit is two miles away. No, you are who you are, body and soul. And he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that's, that's what this prayer is all about. That's what this desire is all about. That's what this reality is all about in terms of sanctification. The sanctifier and the process. Sanctify you wholly. Well, two points of application. The first is this. Get to know the Holy Spirit. Get to know the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is the least understood and least known person of the Godhead. He's the least understood and the least known person of the Godhead. And in many ways, that's understandable because the Spirit points to Christ, not to himself. And yet, having said that, we should come to know the Spirit and to praise him for his work in our hearts. Get to know the Spirit. And then secondly, make sure, children, older person, make sure that you are being sanctified. Now, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Therefore, you should crave for that purity. You should crave for that being set apart for God's service. And so I want to ask you rhetorically today, are you a sheep or a goat? I almost put in here, are you a sheep or a pig? Which would also make the point, 
What does a pig do? He just wallows in the mud. He loves that mud. Now, if you wallow in the mud, that is to say, in the muck of sin, then it shows that you're not converted. A sheep, on the other hand, doesn't like that. And so, are you a sheep or a pig, or we could say, are you a sheep or a goat? Now, I'm going to, I'm, I'm probably going to get in trouble here in just a moment, because I'm going to, I'm going to offend some people. Okay? And the offense I'm going to give is with regard to Mr. Rogers. Y'all remember Fred Rogers? I knew you could. Okay. Now, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, in his neighborhood, was a wonderful man. Very nice. Oh, so nice. He was actually a Presbyterian minister, although he didn't believe Presbyterianism. He didn't believe the gospel, quite frankly. But he was, he was ordained as a Presbyterian minister. Very nice man. But, you see, towards the end of his life, as he was dying, basically on his deathbed, he asked his wife a question. Am I a sheep? Now, it is clear from the writings of Mr. Rogers and from other indications that Mr. Rogers was not asking that question in the proper way. You see, he was asking, the, this is the way he was asking the question. He was asking the question to say, have I done enough? Am I a sheep? And, and as he came to the end of his life, he was terrified, if you will. Certainly uncertain. Have I done enough? Am I a sheep? Have I, have I been nice enough in my neighborhood? So when I ask you if you are a sheep or a goat, I'm not asking you, have you done enough to earn your way into heaven? This is not, this, this question should not be viewed as works righteousness. But rather, it is a question, it's a diagnostic question, to see of what nature you are. Do you love God? I'm not so much asking about your your what you do I'm asking about your heart and so as you look at yourself as you examine yourself as Paul encourages us to do as Paul himself said lest I myself be a castaway I, I have to keep my body in, in subjection I have to, to do what is right it's a diagnostic question in terms of where is your heart where is your heart? You see, if you have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you've been bought by his blood, if he has died for you, then you will be cleansed. You will be sanctified. You will be made holy. It's not a matter of trying to do good things and accumulate enough brownie as Mr. Rogers seemed to indicate. I'm not asking you, are you a sheep, the way that he asked it. I'm asking you to examine yourself, though, in terms of your heart, to see if you are trusting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Are you trusting him and his sacrifice at the cross?
And if you are, if you are, then my friends, you are sheep. And if you are trusting him, you are being sanctified. And you have been sanctified. And that's the promise of God working through his Holy Spirit. Amen. We please stand for prayer. And now, our Father, we cry, Holy Spirit, would indeed sanctify us. Sanctify us. We thank thee, Lord, for the promise of that, and for the certainty of that, for all those who believe in Jesus. And so convey this truth to our hearts. Give us the grace to examine ourselves but ever to look to Christ, in whose name we pray.